Speaking of lost arts, how about that like 80 synth there with a little bit of beat there going on there? I'm not a fan of 80s music either. It's all right. Hey, like Chip mentioned, we are starting a brand new sermon series called Lost Arts, and we're going to be looking at three different lost arts. We're going to highlight those. There are plenty more, but these are all lost arts that we actually need to, if we don't have them in our lives, reincorporate them into them. A lost art is simply something usually requiring some skill that not many people do anymore. And there are plenty of things like that just as a matter of course. My family, we're trying to turn back the clock on family farms slowly but surely. Spent some time tilling up earth barefoot. That was amazing this past weekend. It's a beautiful thing to be in some good clean dirt. And uh, so we're working on that. We've got a chicken coop that we don't have chickens in yet. I've got to build chicken run for that. But we're slowly but surely you know, trying, to, trying to bring that back. We haven't started into the making our own clothes thing. Our oldest daughter does some sewing. You know, so we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll get there, you know, kind of spin our own cotton, you know, and, and wool and, and, and get there. Woodworking with hand tools. I've done a little bit of that. But, man, it's really great to have the power tools, you know, especially the good battery packs. And you can just go to town with those. How about writing letters and mailing them? When's the last time you wrote a letter and mailed it? Probably been a while because you're not expecting you're actually going to get to where you, <laughs> you, know, you want it to get to or get there a month later. But think about how you feel like when you get that thing, when you get a card or, or something like that in the mail, somebody took the time to handwrite it. Sure, some people do these things here and there, but not like, not like we used to. And in the same way, when it comes to lost arts, kind of, you know, just in our culture and things that we do, there are also lost arts that we have in our culture that are about character as well, qualities and values from a bygone era that our modern society either is in short supply of or actively against. And so this week's lost art that we're going to be talking about, we're going to kick it off with a good one. We're going to talk about purity. I love just that pause after saying that because then it's that moment of, okay, is this going to be really awkward? How is this going to go? Did I come on the right Sunday? There might not be any godly virtue that our world is maybe as much against or doesn't like as purity or has the most potential to create a really awkward sermon. You know, purity, like who, what are you going to say? Like who are you to talk about what's pure and what's not pure? Who gets to determine that? Don't judge me. Your purity is a moving target in our world. It's not something that we agree upon in our culture. There's so many differing and disparate ideas of what that is. Because it seems like there really isn't a standard anymore. I think there are a couple different reasons for that. There was one guy who studied the ecosystems of fishery. And he came up with this phrase that I think really explains this really, uh, really well. Uh, so a renowned, renowned fisheries expert named Daniel Pauly introduced this phrase called shifting baseline syndrome. Have you heard of that before? Anybody? Are you familiar with that? So uh, this explained when he came up with it, our generational blindness to environmental destruction. And as some of you might you kind of ears perk up on that. Well, what do you mean by that? It refers to a shift over time in the expectation of what a healthy ecosystem baseline looks like. And so what he did is he looked, he took a, a fishing charter and he looked at pictures over the decades of their catch. And, and what, look, look, that's not all he did. He did much more research than that. But the, here's this visual picture I want to give you of, of what, what he's talking about. So in the 1950s, this charter out in Key West, they would take people out and they would catch grouper that were as big, if not bigger, than them. All right, so you see them posing with their fish, and it's like, all right, here's, here's this six-foot-two guy, and he's got a grouper that's bigger, bigger than that. By the time you get to the 2000s, though, not only were there no grouper left in that area, 
but the biggest prize catches were really about a foot long. And so that's how much change had happened in about 50, 50 years. And so we, you know, have these things that we do where we grow up and we think, oh, you know, the grouper thing, well, that's not even a thing. We don't even think about that. We don't even realize that 60 years ago, 70 years ago, this used to be a thing here. And we just kind of think what our normal is, what we grow up in, is how normal is supposed to be. But it's not really necessarily the case. You know, sometimes we consider past knowledge to just be anecdotal because it's not couched in the vernacular that we're used to now. You know, we think... There's some chronological snobbery that goes on. We think we're smarter because we live later than some other people have. And while the goal might not be to revert everything back to the past, you know, we're not going to, when it comes to fishing, we're not going like, to go out and reduce our population to some random number in the past. And we're not going to say, hey, no more fishing for a couple centuries so we can let the ecosystem recover. But we can understand how timeless principles, how we care about and steward you know, the environment, our world around us, how those timeless principles should inform our perspective and therefore the parameters that we put into place in our lives to not lose ourselves just because most of the people around us are limited in their transformation. Especially as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, the shifting baselines of the world are sometimes a direct challenge to, if not clear opposition to the standards and expectations that God has set forth and called us to live our lives by. And so let me read this passage from Titus chapter 2, and this is from Paul who's mentoring a young evangelist, a guy who's going around starting churches and leading churches at the, in the island of Crete in Greece. So this is Paul writing to Titus, and this is what he says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so one of the things that Jesus does is he saves us from our sin, absolutely. He redeems us from our wickedness, but he also purifies himself, us, so that we might be eager to do good in our lives. And I do believe that in general, people love the theme and story of redemption. You know, get into that narrative. We, we love redemption stories when it comes to, to sports or when it comes to, you know, other, other thing, entertainment in our lives. Um, and more or less, I do believe that people have a general sense of wanting to do good. I, I don't know about the eagerness part, you know, how, how much we like get up in the mornings like, man, can't wait to do some good because I've been redeemed from, you know, from wickedness and, and Jesus has purified me. But when you read through this passage and the grace of God that saves and teaches us, you know, there's a clear teaching to live life according to this principle, whatever context we find ourselves in. Paul says, in this present age, you know, Titus says, hey, you know, this, this is, these are timeless principles that we're called to live by regardless of what's going on around us. That we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and we say yes to living self-controlled, godly, and upright lives. If we're not, if we're ignoring these things, you know, we're not being discipled by the fruit of God's grace in our lives. You know, purity means freedom from adulteration or contamination. But a biblical view of purity also includes the removal of sin that Jesus redeems us from. And so we think about purity, and, and we think about our shifting standards. Like, think about pure water. For you, what is pure water? For some of you, that means like, oh, I only drink Fiji. You know, that's what I wash my dishes in. I'm pretty sure nobody does that <laughs> in here, actually. I, I know that's not true. But for some of you, you think, man, 
that guy's out in the country, he might be on well water. Can you imagine like good, clean underground water when I have access to purified city water. You, 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 see, you see where I'm going, right? We, we could kind of get into, in, into that a little bit. You know, water from the sewer, we know that's, that's dirty. You know, it's in the septic tank. We don't want that water. But how clean does water have to be for you to drink it? Bottled water? Distilled? Purified? How about water from a mountain stream? Yeah, but do you need to boil it first? What about glacier water? Spring water? You know, you, you know like what water are you willing to, to go to? Would you rather have well water or city water? I know what my answer is. My answer is, I've spent time in countries where you can't drink the water. At least I, I couldn't drink the water. My first trip ever on a mission trip was about 28 years ago. And we were, we were in a country where, you know, we were carrying bottled water, making sure that we bought certain bottled water and, uh, and taking that wherever we were. But at one point, we found ourselves just randomly in the middle of nowhere in this country. We found a Dunkin' Donuts. And this is like, it's already a bad idea to go in Dunkin' Donuts anyway, you know. But, but we decided... No, like, are we, I'm sorry. I spoke out against donuts and I apologize. I'm, I, mea culpa. Um, so, so, you know, we went into this Dunkin' Donuts and, and we were hot and we wanted something to drink. And, and so I ordered a soda. Really? I mean, you know, because soda's not water. Come on, you know, it's, it's different. So I ordered a soda, you know, chock full of ice. And I got about, I don't know, three quarters, about halfway through the soda. And then I looked at the ice. And you know how ice is supposed to look, right? It's not supposed to look like anything. I mean, it's just a, cu a clear cube. Well, these were not clear cubes. And I did not finish my soda. You know, some, some regions, some places you go to, you're not supposed to drink the water or you need a certain, you know, tolerance for the bacteria, the things that exist in our water. There might be some people who come and drink our city water and like not feel good after it because they're not used to it. And so when you talk about something that's pure, you know, you think about clean water for an ex as an example. It's like, man, there seems to be this shifting standard. You know, what, what do we really agree on? And that's why, that's why purity is such a lost art in our culture. Because we could say that purity is all just a matter of perspective. You know, that's, that's the argument that we would make. It's about how you feel. It's about how, you know, you are. And that's how you live your life. That's the direction you go in. You know, like, for example, I might be fine with my kids listening to certain music or watching certain movies, and I could let you know that, and some of you would go, oh, I can't believe, you know, I would never, you know, we do that silent judgment thing that we do as parents, right? I can't believe so-and-so, you know, lets their kids do these, these things. There's shows and movies that I won't watch or have stopped watching, you know, as soon as certain content comes onto the screen, uh, there are lyrics to songs that I know I don't need on repeat. There are apps I know that I don't need on my phone. Some folks probably need to do away with their smartphones entirely or need to be intentional about staying away from places and situations or just the internet in general. You know, but we live at a certain baseline of normalcy where we think, oh, it's normal for us to deal with those things and have to, you know, be tempted by those things and find ourselves stuck in the cycle of shame and guilt or hardened hearts over those things because this is just how things are. And so what we do need, and God in his wisdom knows this about us, regardless of what generation we're in, we do need standards of purity that don't change. It's so that we can reclaim a, a, a lost art, yes, that, that is about purity, but it's also about understanding God's holiness and honoring that. And that matters for two reasons. God is creator and sovereign, and so he's the one who gets to make the standards. I mean, ultimately, that's what we believe when we come to him. And two, it moves us out of harm's way. 
Because biblical purity takes us from painful consequences to purposeful living. It's not just about checking a box. There's actually a real purpose for our lives in that. In Psalm chapter 119, King David talks about the same topic that we're talking about. Uh, and and he's, he's talking about this by, by asking, what does purity look like so we can learn the lesson as soon as possible in our lives? So Psalm 119, 9 through 16, this is what David writes. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? This is not just for young people, by the way. This is, hey, we should learn this lesson early on because it will save us, save us a lifetime of pain and regret. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And so when David asks questions, how can we be pure? He says, well, the standard comes from what God has told us. You know, we find that in God's word in, in his Bible. And so seeking God with all of our heart is the goal for achieving purity. And when I say achieving, like, don't think this is about just doing this on our own strength. We'll talk about that in a second. But achieving purity because it reorients our thinking and it reorients and changes our actions, not around the baseline for normal that we grow up in, but the normal that God created life to be. When you read through the Old Testament, especially through, through like the book of Leviticus, uh, there's a lot of talk about being clean and cleansing. Before the people of God would go to the temple for worship, they had to make sure that they were ceremonially clean because for them, worshiping God was what their lives was entirely centered around. So imagine you, you're having somebody over for, for, for dinner and they're the most important person in the world that you can think of, whoever that is for you. I don't know, we would have a ton of different answers. Like some of us would say some huge celebrity, other of us would say our mom or our mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, what would you do with your house? Are you gonna just kind of leave the dirty clothes out and laying around? Are you gonna leave dishes in the sink? Are you not gonna clean the toilet and bathroom, trash all over the floors? Or are you gonna tidy up a bit? Depending on who it is, if they're the most important person in the world, I mean, you're going to scramble. You're going to make everything spotless. God's people practiced the discipline of cleansing their minds, their hearts, and even their physical bodies as they prepared to enter the presence of God and worship. It was a sign of respect and submission. And there's some timeless principles for us to put into place and incorporate in our own lives. There's a literal commandment from God as well. He laid out very specific guidelines about what it looks like to be clean. Now, Jesus takes care of that for us, ultimately, when it comes to worshiping God. And God gave instructions for what you were to do if you were unclean. For us, is to say yes to Jesus in our lives. And to our modern sensibilities, these things might seem legalistic or hollow or lacking in genuineness or maybe just, you know, inconvenient at best. And so, you know, think about how did, how did, how did you and I, how did we prepare for worship today? as we come and center our lives around God being the audience of one for us this morning, and not really just this morning. Like, I've showered, you're welcome, you know, so, I, so I've prepared. You know, as I drive in in the morning, I don't listen to anything, so I keep the radio off, I don't listen to a podcast, I don't listen to a book or anything like that. I keep that, I keep that off because I don't want anything distracting me but, you know, from thinking about what's about to happen this morning. And so I spend some time in prayer. I leave my eyes open as I'm driving. And, I, and that's one of, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome for that. 
Um, you, you know, we take communion together at 9 a.m. Those of us that are here and that are serving and helping to lead, we pray, we focus on a scriptural text, and we, we spend some time preparing in that way. We do a sound check, brew some coffee, you know, make sure communion is, is here. There are different things that we do to, to prep and be ready. But the ultimate intention of God for his people when it comes to you know, establishing standards of purity in our life is, is to make us center our lives around him in every action that we take. God wants us to know that he's not just a casual God. You know, he's not common. He's not someone we just show up for. He's not our drinking buddy. He's not our cousin that we cut up with. He's the supreme God of all creation, and he is set apart from all other things. God is holy. That's a part of his character and nature. And so this idea of purity and setting that standard of living for us is a part of us entering into and experiencing his holiness in our lives. That holiness sets the context for why purity matters for the disciple of Jesus. That's why following Jesus incorporates that into our life. You know, we understand that if I take a clean glass of water and I put dirt in it, it's not clean anymore. Maybe, it depends on the dirt. Some dirt's pretty good for us. So maybe, you know, maybe that's why sin is bad, right? Because sin is like dirt and holiness is like clean water. But here's, here's where the analogy breaks down. You can't mix sin with God's holiness. It just doesn't work. You know, you, we can have levels of purity when it comes to water. You can have 100% pure, whatever that means. You can have 90%, 80%. Like, where's your percentage where you're not going to drink the water? Is it 50%? Where, where, is that, <laughs> where is that level? But there's no such thing as levels of God's holiness. He's 100% holy. Always. His holiness is unrivaled, and his holiness is the standard for purity. It, the way that we think about purity is often, well, I don't want to project. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. You know, but we think about somebody else. And we think, oh, they're not as pure as I am. You know, so that helps us feel a little bit better, right? I mean, we're a little bit, oh, I'm, at least I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I might not be, you know, 80% pure, but at least I'm not down at 40% like this person over here. But when I use God's holiness as my standard, that changes things. It changes how I think about that, and then it changes how I act about that. I have something to strive for and someone to worship. And Jesus is the one who makes that happen when we focus our lives on him. Because purity is not about never having been dirty or never getting dirt on us again. It's simply not a reality that we live in. We're all bringing dirt to the table. But it is about the direction that we're moving in because that's the fruit of a disciple of Jesus who recognizes that Jesus purifies us himself. So Titus 2, end of verse 13, verse 14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purifies for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. One of the many reasons why saying yes to God incorporates us being immersed into water through baptism, the symbolic washing away of how dirty we are and know that when we come out of that water, we are clean, symbolically clean and restored and redeemed. And we have this way of life that isn't just temporary, but it's eternal that God invites us into. And purity is not about just having the strength of will to get as close as we can to our temptation and still have the strength of will to say no to it. Because eventually we'll just end up saying yes, you know, if that's how we end up living our lives at some point and go through another cycle of guilt and shame and at worst... At guilt and shame at best, and at worst, having our hearts hardened 
to who God has called us to be. The grace of God, Titus, and Paul says in Titus 2, 12 through 13, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. It places us in a position for our lives to be in the opposite direction of those temptations because we've established godly guardrails to keep us from ungodliness and worldly passions by being purposeful in our self-control and our godliness. So when it comes to sexuality and greed and pride and selfishness and gluttony and jealousy and anger and laziness and idolatry and lying and the list goes on. We say no to our natural feelings and our natural inclinations and say yes to God's sovereignty in those matters because it changes our capacity to not have those things exist in our lives anymore, or at least not have them control our lives anymore. Purity is, not, is, is about preparing our hearts and minds to be eager to do good, not just not do evil. Purity is a lost art, but it is the original lost art. I mean, this is not just about 2021 people. This is about humanity as a whole. Purity went out the window for us with Adam and Eve way back when they sinned against God initially. Purity has been lost, but God's holiness is so great that he purifies us as he is pure. And I know that most people listening to this, most would probably identify themselves as a Christian. And that even though you already know some of these things, you still, maybe you still struggle to be pure in all that you do. And the path forward is given to us in scripture, but it's also said memorably by a pretty great philosopher. He said this, you must unlearn what you have learned. You must unlearn. Yeah, I can't do a Yoda voice. I would try, but I can't. Rather than learning, rather than leaning into what is our natural and kind of presumed approach, because this is just how everybody lives their life, we're called to place ourselves in a position to follow the way of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. So 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, here's the key. Uh, unlearn what you have learned. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Even with God's grace, people who are so grateful and thankful for his grace and mercy in our lives, he still wants us to seek holiness in our daily living. Paying attention to the prompting and instruction of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, this is an opportunity for us to take stock, take a look, take a breath, take a step back and, and see, hey, how, how are we doing? You know, this is who God calls us to be. Be holy as I am holy. Jesus empowers us, you know, purifies us. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can live this different way, new creation life, a living in our life. You know, chances are we already know the places that we shouldn't be going, whether that's on the internet, you know, or in relationships, or places that we have access to that we're tempted by. You know, so what are we doing? What standards, what guidelines, what guardrails are we setting in place to pursue the holiness and purity that God calls us to? On the other hand, you may not realize at all that God's word on our culture's favorite sins as our baseline shifts further from him doesn't change because the problems with them haven't changed. And that when we, how we think and talk and act don't follow the way of Jesus, that's when we find ourselves at a loss 
for where God is in our lives. Purity is a lost art, but it's also one that God restores for us every day through Jesus. And he is able to move us from the cycle of our sin to a brand new creation life. Our lives will change when our habits change to place ourselves in a position to seek out the goodness of God. And that's what this lost art is all about. And so as we prepare for a moment in time and during our service where we focus solely on what Jesus has done for us, you know, how he has purified us, redeemed us from all wickedness and what he's done, he has given himself up completely through death on the cross and resurrection, taking what we deserve in place because of our impurities. And, and yet the way that we walk out of this room every Sunday, the way that we you know, live out our lives and our faith in Jesus is knowing that we are not defined by those impurities any longer. That's a, that's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of approaching life. It's a different perspective. It's a different way of relating to other people when we know how much we've been forgiven of and how much of a blessing and opportunity and privilege it is to be in a place where God calls us to himself, allows us to be in relationship with him and to share that relationship with other people. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about saying, you know what, at this point on, I'm going to keep myself, you know, 10 people away from anything that might possibly be dirty in my life anymore. You know, when it comes to the people, I'm not talking about the temptations and the sins, right? I'm talking about the people. But there's this opportunity through my life that God has redeemed those things that were once evil, that were once wickedness, like in my childlike state, in the feelings and normalcy of the world that he's brought me into, that that people can see, man, there's, there's a different way to live. There's a brand new, changed way. Like, like people can change. They can get better. And God leads us into that as he calls us to follow Jesus and to be disciples of his. So as we take this moment of communion like we do every week, I, I just want us to meditate on that as followers of Jesus, exactly what, what he's done for us and in us and continues to do through us. So before we take, take communion together, and there, there are tables throughout the room um, that, that we're going to do as the, as the band plays, uh, plays some music, um, I'm going to pray for us. God, it, is, uh, it, it, can, it can be overwhelming sometimes to consider just how far removed we are from you when it comes to our own power. But God, that's, that's when we need your Holy Spirit to remind us of, of how much strength that you actually give us, that you are there right with us every step, every step of the way. And that, God, if even some of the things, decisions that we may need to make in our life that may seem so extreme to anyone else, like getting rid of a smartphone or not having internet at our house or whatever that might be, you know, never going to see a movie again, never listening to music, I, I don't know, what, whatever those things might be, that whatever standards that we need to set or guardrails that we need to put in place in our lives, that, that how you honor that in our life far exceeds anything that we may feel like we be, may be missing out on or, or looking weird for. God, the fact that we come to you filthy and that you look at us and say, just say yes to me and are willing to completely cleanse us and keep us clean in your eyes through Jesus is an astounding thing. And God, we ask you to remind us of what it is to be in awe of how you've redeemed us and how you've purified us. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.